In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, may our attitude and spirit be like that of Samuel, who said, Speak, O Lord, your servant hears. Amen. It is often said that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. That is to say, if you whine loud enough, you'll get what you want. The workers hired first in the parable of the workers in the vineyard were probably thinking this statement when they murmured and grumbled against their employer. They figured that if they made a big enough stink, they would get paid more than those lazy bums who showed up at the last minute. After all, how is it fair that they got paid the same for less of the same work? So it would seem that whining is the answer to our problems. Now, we must make a distinction first. There is a fine line between a complaint and whining. A complaint is a good thing. It is a constructive criticism or a request to clear a misunderstanding. And the Bible is full of complaints. An example would be Psalm 10, whose first verse reads, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? The psalmist here is humbly crying for help for his unbelief. But the same cannot be said for the workers in the parable. They, by contrast, were whining. Whining involves grumbling and murmuring bad things about other people, including other people such as God. In it is this murmuring, this circulation of evil thoughts, such as anger, envy, greed, or pride, that eventually lead to evil actions. For the grumbling Israelites, this was threatening to stone Moses. And because of our selfish, sinful nature, we are inclined not to complain, but to whine. Don't believe me? Look at the first wave of the laborers. Their master even asked them, Do you begrudge my generosity? Now, the English Standard Version that we read here in church doesn't even come close to illustrating what the master says. Translated literally from the original Greek, the master asked them in verse 15, Is it evil in your eye that I am good? That is to say, they were blinded with envy and pride. Their eyes were darkened with evil. And, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Indeed, how great the darkness was in those first wave of workers. They were so jealous that these deadbeats got paid the same as they who worked all day. It just seemed so unfair to them. They are all tired and sunburned and sore. But man, they sure have a lot to be proud about in their work. But in all their emotion of anger and envy and pride, they failed to see the bigger picture. The striking part about this whole parable is the sheer amount of unemployment implied in it. None of the workers hired at any part of the day, whether it was early, in the middle, or at the end, seemed to have had a steady job before the landlord offered them a job in his vineyard. Yes, these workers who were hired first were no less deadbeats than the workers hired last. The workers hired first, just like their latter counterparts, probably ate a steady diet of government cheese and lived in a van down by the river. 
The workers hired first could have easily been the ones hired last. Had the landlord not found them and hired them early in the day, they could have been the ones loitering in the marketplace around noontime or an hour before sundown. And they didn't see that. What is more is they got paid that day too. They didn't see that they literally had more money in their pocket at the end of the day than they did at the beginning. They didn't see that they could have something other than government cheese for dinner that night. Or maybe they could pay their rent now. Or maybe even save that money for later. Plus, there might even be a chance for them to work again tomorrow. After all, the landlord was hiring people up until the last hour of the day. And that probably means there's still lots more works to do. They could get paid again. These first workers did not see how blessed they were. Perhaps by saying, the last will be first and the first last, Jesus meant, the last will be the first ones to understand the blessing they have received, and the first will be the last ones to understand this. And how often do we not see that? Have you ever stopped to think how easily you could have been on the other side of the equation if circumstances had been different? How often have we perhaps grumbled to someone who has gotten the same as us, despite not being a Christian for as long as us, or for most of our life hasn't been faithful in attending church. Yet in his infinite mercy, God still provides even for, whiny, even for whiners. We don't deserve anything for our whining, yet God provides in hope that you and I would realize we gain nothing apart from him. Your wealth, your home, your spouse, your children, your car, your job, and everything else you have is not because of your hard work. It's because God has graciously given it to you. It was God who provided you an education by means of good and faithful teachers. It was God who provides you a job and the wages or salary that come with that job. And with those wages or salary, the ability to buy and gain material goods to live. Everything comes from God. That's why the opening line to the common doxology goes, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. But chief of those blessings is the gift of grace. This is not grace that is infused to you to make you able to win your own salvation, no. This is not grace that causes your conversion, no. Grace, rightly understood, is what counts you as righteous before God. Without grace, God would surely punish and destroy us. But since God generously gives us grace, whether we were brought into the vineyard at the first hour or at the eleventh, we are counted as righteous in his eyes. But where does this grace come from? It comes flowing like water from the rock that was struck It comes from Christ on the cross, from the water and blood that flowed from his pierced side. This is where God gives you grace. This is where the blood of the atonement comes from. This is where your salvation was won. So yes, we grumble and we get so blinded in our sin, but God still gives us what he promised to give. God still gives us his son Jesus and the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. The baby may wail and wiggle at the baptismal font, 
but God still allows the holy waters to flow over its head and so receive Christ in his grace. The man on his deathbed may have avoided church his whole life, sworn it off, but 15 minutes before breathing his last, God allows water to be poured over his head, and so he too receives Christ and his grace. And so giving his son to die, God hopes that we see his grace towards us, even if we don't see it at first. God hopes that we see his grace towards us, even if we are the last to see it. All the same, he gives us his grace, the same grace to all people, both to the ones who labored 12 hours and to the ones who only labored for one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.